Welcome to this Centrum podcast. For more podcasts or to join Centrum programs building creativity in community, visit us at centrum.org. I'm Michelle Haygood, and this is On Air, a podcast focusing on conversations with artists and creatives from Centrum's residency community. I am broadcasting to you from the lands and waters of the Coast Salish people in a place known as Katai to the Sklalem people and today known as Port Townsend, Washington. This podcast is focused on bringing artists together in community to explore the ways that place, process, and the personal intersect. We dive into the many ways that artists are responding to the current times, affecting change, and finding sustenance during health, climate, and social crisis. Join us and take an hour to be in residence and unpack your own relationships to creativity, time, and place. Thank you for being here and enjoy this episode. everyone. I am really happy to be bringing you a conversation with Alicia Gosti and Bibi Miller today, which came about because Alicia Gosti is one of Centrum's Northwest Heritage Residency awardees and incoming resident. And we have been asking many of our artists who we have relationships with who they'd like to sit down and talk with. And Aliche's practice is engaged very much in sight. Aliche is a Italian-American choreographer, hybrid performance artist, curator, and architect of experiences who has been working in public spaces and exploring unconventional performances since 2013. If you haven't already become familiar with Aliche's work, I highly suggest you go to her website, which will be linked in our show notes. And Aliche's project, along with Malacarn, a company she has pulled together for the project to uh, scheduled to happen sometime in the future here at Fort Warden, will be building on this practice of uh, thinking about sight and the ways that dance and movement can highlight uh, histories and also bridge bridge us with experiences in our own bodies within these spaces. And you'll hear her talk a little bit about how her practice of this kind of unfolds. And Aliche suggested talking with Bibi Miller, who is a phenomenal choreographer who formed the Bibi Miller Company in 1985, which has performed nationally in Great Britain, Europe, South America, Australia, Africa, and the Caribbean. Bibi has written a book, How Dancing is Built, The Making of in a Rhythm, and is the has been the recipient of a long list of awards and recognitions and has received honorary doctorates from Yersinus College and Franklin and Marshall College. And she joins us from Columbus, Ohio today for this conversation. I know you're going to really enjoy hearing both of these choreographers 
talk about the the ways that movement and dance and existing in their bodies within different spaces has has evolved in both of their practices and also how the current times have opened up new questions and sort of highlighted different ways that we are connected and exist in our space. And they also both do a really beautiful job of posing these questions and and bringing it back to you know, the experiences that we have as humans and the stories and dreams that we each embody in different ways. So this will be a really inspiring conversation. It will make you want to move and really enter into a new relationship with with how you move, I think. So without further ado, please sit back and enjoy this conversation. Hi, Bibi. Hey, Alice. How are you? It's good to talk I'm to you. Good. Oh, it's good to talk to you too. Thanks for being here. Where are you? Where are you? I'm at home in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, I've lived in Ohio for 20 years. Originally, I'm from Brooklyn, New York, and didn't move to the Midwest until 20 years ago. So I really do consider myself a New Yorker, mm-hmm. and um, which is where I got started with my choreography and company work and teaching and so now i am doing that from here ohio yeah and there here from where are you and i and where are you from yeah i currently am in perugia in italy which is my original hometown but for the last 19 years i've lived mostly in seattle washington where is my art life based mostly but my mom is american and my dad is italian so i was always in between the two cultures kind of um wandering and living in between the two those two identities a lot so it's been interesting to be back here for this long because i got here in march and now i've been here for nine months and it's yeah it's the longest i've been here since i left when i was 19. So it's uh, trippy, very trippy. <laughs> and under but, circumstances that we would not anticipate, of, you know, a reason for you being there that long. No, so. no, I, I was supposed to be here kind of for a three-week vacation slash like a couple of job ideas and meeting a new niece. And then cool. uh, that was March 7th. And then Italy went on lockdown on March 9th. And oh, then... It just keeps making more sense to me to stay here for now. Hopefully, November, I'll be back. Hopefully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, has a lot of the, the like, I'm sure that in your life and career, there's a lot of touring and traveling. Has that changed a lot? And how are you living that? Well, it definitely has changed, but uh, not at all because of, of, of COVID, but just mm. because I'm you know, I get older in the field and I start doing different things. Mm -hmm. But our first, one of our first overseas performance, performances for B.B. Miller Company was in Italy for the, um, yes, uh, Solferigi, no, Polverigi Festival. Wow. So that was 1986, I think, so quite a while ago. And I, 
I, I, there was a time when we were going to Europe about every year and a half and all over the country here in the States, a lot of touring. I've also, uh, we performed in, in South Africa and I've taught mm -hmm. in Eritrea mm -hmm. and in the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. So I feel really fortunate that this career in, in dance and choreography and performance and teaching has, has shown me so much of the world because my interest really is in how, um, how we relate as people and, and what is, what not necessarily the stories behind it, but just the story-ness of it all that we recognize yeah. when people have a history and when they've had a future, we hope they have a future, and that there is something about how that shows up in the body and in interactions that's been really fun to play with over these over these years. So yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna start with like a existential question just okay. because I am where I am and I'm really curious about you and where you at. Um, but why do you do what you do? Huh. And you can take it as far or as pragmatic as you want. <laughs> well, it's funny. It's like, why do I do what I do or why did I do what I do when I did it? Uh, yes. There's a time element in all of that, I think, that we can't deny. I'm, I'm at the older end of my career in life. And so what I used to do and how I used to do it and why I used to do it have been part, have become just, you know, part of who I am. I think that uh, why choreography, why dance? I feel lucky that I, I, I started seeing dance and being involved in dance and dancing at a really early age. Uh, with improvisation and composition. Uh, Murray Lewis of the Alan Nikolai Company was my teacher from age Yes! Four. Oh, good. You know him, of him. Oh, yeah. I come from the Alan Nikolai method. Oh, my like goodness. Yes! How did we not know that of each other? That's I don't know, but it makes sense in a lot of things I saw, but oh. I see in your work. Oh my, oh, my. Wow. Yeah, I was here in Italy, my teachers growing up, so from the age of six, seven, were students of Alvin Nikolai that would go in New York in the summertime and take his classes when he had his school and his mm -hmm. company. Mm -hmm. And there was a whole like Italian group that came back. Wow. Okay. That sorry, is interrupted so you. fascinating. Yeah. There's not a, a lot of us. No, there's not. But it's such not a, a big. <laughs> yeah. So wow. it, and it's so curious for me the and and how it works in my and the work that I do now, which many people don't see because Nikolai is not a familiar presence in contemporary. Mm -hmm. But his exploration of space and energy and dynamic, mm -hmm. as well as sound. I mean, he's known for his electro electronic scores. But I got I realized I just kind of inhaled this love of of space and interior mm -hmm. space as well as mm -hmm. space you know architectural in the room mm -hmm. and we would often deal with you know how the molecules bounce around in our bodies and that rhythm and that timing and that that excitement and so i i feel that that's still somewhere in me and it and then i i kind of 
you know, as you grow up, you wouldn't like, you, you know, you say, I'm not going to do that anymore. I want to do something else. Something <laughs> yeah. Else. yeah. And, and we always do something that's, that's a collection and, and, you know, a, a conglomerate of all of the things that we've learned. But in coming back to this idea of space and energy, what I feel I'm really interested in is, is keeping the humanity of that really present while still looking at how we move dynamically. Um, between yeah. people in relationship. So it doesn't feel as abstract as when I first learned it, or it's abstract in a different way. It's always Same. abstracted yeah. to a certain extent. You as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like I was raised in that methodology, so which I think it w- is such a wonderful way to uh, approach uh, dance and movement. And it's it feels like such a perspective that is accessible in terms of uh, uh, bodies and different languages that are already present in our body possibilities or like if you started dancing at age four or if you start dancing at age 30 so so on that side yes and I, I agree in the sense of or I think my interpretation of something that you said and also that I have experienced in the years is that there's this high element of abstraction and abstractism that sometimes feels like it's forgetting the humanity, like you're saying. Even if like a lot of work on space is relational, like if I think of about some of the conversations that I've that were passed on to me around space uh, feel like their conversations around relationship between humans in space and humans and space and proximity and, uh, and distance. But I, I have a similar sensation and desire in um, story, personal story. I think that the, in my experience and my memory and knowledge of the Nicolai method, and there's a little bit of a, we, we forget about the actual human that is dancing the dance a little bit. And also like my, you know, my absorption of all that is a passed on absorption and reading the few books that there are on it and watching the few documentary that exists on that method and technology and uh, technique. So it's, uh, who knows? But my perspective, it was always, there's something about, uh, I'm a human and I don't want to be a robot. Like my uniqueness is, has to, and will always be part of the story because of where I come from, because of my context, because of my experiences, you know? And I feel like some of that in, in that period of postmodern abstract dance it was a little uh, it wasn't as present but I wasn't there so who knows I don't know <laughs> well and I you know I, I I feel the Nikolai people behind me and supporting it's like we weren't robots they're not I know robots. I know I didn't mean I didn't mean to say that <laughs> but I but I do feel that there was a, a perhaps a different display of our humanity thank you yeah and back when I was a kid and I would watch, it, there was a quartet in particular that I saw all the time. It was Murray Lewis, Phyllis Lamhut, Gladys Balin, and a man named Bill Frank, who I don't know, I don't know if he's alive. I kind of lost track of mm-hmm. him uh, many years ago. But it was, um, you know, two men, two women, uh, one black man, three white people, and their 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 profiles, their body types for their aliveness was all particular to the individual. 
and very much so. And I feel like what the Nikolai technique and, and the work that they made was built on what these people brought to, yeah. you know, to each other, an energy, a, a way of touch, a way of finding form in the body, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. how they held themselves. Very evident. For me, for B.B. Miller Company, it's, I feel that that sense, what I look for as I'm choreographing in, or I look, I notice is the, the particular sense of flow or, or yeah. the Nik Nikolai word, uh, the tensile involvement, the dynamic yeah. between parts of the body as well as between people is sculptural, is yeah. um, uh, abst abstracted in that way. And so yeah. it becomes another very dynamic energy tool to, to use in carving space. Mm -hmm. So that is quite a coincidence. I yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Because um, it makes me think about, it, it connects a little bit with this other thought and question I had in relation, like in my, and I think it relates. Anyways, I'll say the question, which is, uh, I've always seen your, I've always noticed uh, since I've known about your work, about your desire and your curiosity around technologies, your desire and curiosity around the new systems or different systems in which dance could exist. And now I feel like that makes even more sense because I feel like Nikolai was... Mm so deeply interested in making music, uh, all film, uh, technologies that now we maybe wouldn't call technologies, but they were technologies at the same time, the way they like worked and function in terms of shapes. Yeah. So anyways, I feel like there's a connection there and I yeah. hadn't thought about it. But I yeah, haven't either um, now that you think of it. You know, it's, it's funny. And, and Nikolai uh, was... You know, he, he created his own electronic scores. He, he designed the lights. And I have to give, give, give homage to Ruth Grauert, who was actually my first dance teacher when I was three and was <laughs> a longtime mentor whom I knew mo all of my creative life. And she just recently passed away this spring at age 101. So she's wow. really presence in, in my my living you know my, my growing up as a kid is also and also just coming to my work in, in the later days and and being yeah you know my first critic <laughs> let's say but that said I hadn't thought of myself in involved in technology in in relationship to Nikolai and but but now that you think of it now that you mentioned it it's it seems of course there's there's a connection there however I didn't become technologically driven until oh well I don't know you know the last 10-15 years it's been where I've really been focusing on that and I remember when I first came out to Ohio State on uh, you know about the year 2000 some colleagues put on um what do they call it a technology retreat weekend and uh, <laughs> who it's the Isadora folks who yes uh, ba -ba -ba -ba. Mark Conigliano and Don, uh, I can't remember Don's last name, but uh, Mark and Don came and they had a, one of these, um, one of their suits that you would put on mm -hmm. that had all these triggers where the sensors, the sensors and triggers were if you folded your arms or you opened your arms, it would set off either video or different kinds of sound. 
And I was really just kind of, I, I don't know, I, I was reluctant, but I <laughs> put on the suit. And what was interesting to me was that it changed how I felt about performing. Not so much thinking about that there is a new a background or a sound score, but I knew that I was controlling the environment that I was entering in as I, as I shifted my space, my, my place in the space on the floor and, and was in between different signaling devices that I could imagine a, th- a different kind of three-dimensionality that was, mm. that was interesting. So... I was drawn to it because of that feeling as a performer and then trying to figure out what, what is that feeling? What else can I do with that rather than just show the imagery? And soon after that, it led me toward working with motion capture and really, again, one of these lucky happenstances, I was invited to make use of the motion, motion capture lab at the ACAD which is the Advanced Computing Center for the Arts and Design at Ohio State. And so I had access to this tool that I really knew nothing about how to use it or what what it was going to teach me. And it took a while to figure out what I even wanted from it. But Mm -hmm. let's see, it's hard to remember exactly what comes first, but there was a there was a moment when Angie Hauser and Ted Johnson, two of the dancers I was working with, were involved in one of those duet situations, improvised, but just where you could feel the vibrancy between them, even though there was not much movement going on. And I was watching them live, and I was also watching them on the screen where they've been trans, you know, transformed into little tiny dots and you know, little uh-huh. green, green lines and stuff. And nothing was there. I mean, there were, there were these two green dots and green lines just standing there. There was no energy. There was no, there was no oh. zip between them. And I saw it live. So it's like, well, where is it? Where did it go? And yeah. it made me realize that it's in motion. Even the, the slightest engagement of their weight made it visible for me. And that's led me in a whole train of, of thought and practice about about how we keep our weight, our, our centers of weight at risk. Yeah. It has become one of those um, fundamentals of, of how I see movement and how I work with it since then. So, so technology more as a tool of, of learning about movement rather than necessarily, uh, you know, I mean, we'd, we'd worked with some an, animation and wonderful, wonderful imagery but it was more of like, what is it telling me about movement itself that was, that was mm. interesting? A tool for deepen some ideas or discover some ideas around movement in a way. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Because there's a lot of conversations that are happening right now as part of the you know, COVID era around the theater and performance and dance and live music happening in this digital world. And what does that do to the experience? How does it change the experience? Do you have any thoughts around that? Yeah, around that. It's not really a complete question. Sorry. Well, no, it's a, but it, it got me thinking, and um, which is that, that's all we need to do. Um, <laughs> And it's funny, we are now so heavily involved in this digital two-dimensional world uh, through either Zoom or FaceTime or any kind of imagery that we're seeing on a screen. 
And in the little bit of, of teaching or, or taking a class or, or just looking at other performances, it brings up something about how we, in facing each other or facing an event, how we keep alive that our own three-dimensionality. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm, yeah. um, I'm seeing you on a Zoom screen, even though the people who hear us aren't having any screen at all, but I see you, but I also see out the window behind, behind you. And yeah. behind myself, I know where I am in my room. And mm-hmm. so just even how we remind ourselves of our three-dimensional space by looking around and, and being present and, and keeping involved in our tactile experience, I feel yeah. is um, highlighted in a very different way. Um, yeah. Yeah, through these times. One of the the strangest things, and and this is just you know, if, if any any of us, even our listeners, are involved in any kind of Zoom meetings, we love the commute. You go in, you sit down, you get your cup of coffee, and you go, and then it's over. But the the lack of that transitional timing on either end is very strange and very new. Very strange. So we are dropping into an immediacy unlike mm-hmm. anything we had before. And then we drop out of it. So yeah. whatever second guessing we have about it is, is, is useless. And we are in this moment. And I, I am really curious about what's going to be evident in people's work in the next mm-hmm. year or so when we really digest what this is bringing us. There's something new in, yeah. in our assumptions of who we are in public outside of our pod or outside of our family that is very much a part of our daily lives now and how how we measure ourselves how we choreograph that that walk around our neighbors and keep track of that so for me i don't know how has that showed up for you and your work well i'm a i'm a curious I'm a super curious human being and like this kind of technology has always been part of my life. Like my grandma lives in Seattle and we, I grew up in Italy. So whenever, when they met, like when I was a kid, we were talking on the phone once a week, but it was too expensive. So you would deal with that, you know? So then when Skype existed, we were on Skype. Then with instant messenger existed, we were, I would use that. Then I left uh, Italy and moved to the US and then like all these other FaceTime and ways of instantaneous communication, I feel like have been part of my life all my life. Mm. So, so at the same time, though, I like hate them. Because uh, at the same time, while they are clear uh, constellation creators, you know, like I can feel the connection, like you and I right now are not in the same room, but we're having a conversation and I miss the three dimensionality of our bodies in the same space. Uh, Maybe the possibility of like a handshake or a hug or who knows, like I miss those, the smells, the tactile things of, you know, of sharing space and time. Mm-hmm. and coexisting in that yeah so I miss those but I also the what is hard for me mostly is that it is a way to pretend like we can exist in multiple places but we fit really can't uh, what am I trying to say is that when I first moved to the U.S. my first three years there especially were really hard because I spent all my time on Skype 
because I missed my people so much, which meant that I wasn't in real time ever, which meant Mm. that I would go to dance classes and I would feel super physical and I would take all my dance classes. Then I would go to my dorm or my apartment and I would try to like catch up with the people on the other side of the world. And after two years, three years of doing that, I realized that that was not good for me that was not healthy for me that I needed to connect with the time and space like in the timeline that I actually was in and not in a timeline a nine hours ahead of me timeline so I stopped for a long time drastically I feel like I stopped until now like now I'm I've learned that this is necessary for me to continue my dreams and so I do it but I also like navigate it with like oh I also need to like real in person like wandering looking outside the window my window uh time so so that's like my human personal perspective Uh artistically Uh I'm just like I, I think that nothing will replace live performance but I think that like you said with your experiences using technology that taught you something new about movement I feel the same way. And I also feel like there's a whole new world of possibility for performance that we just don't know what it is. And we can't not, we cannot constantly say, but real like in-person mm. performance is better. No, it's just not another thing. You just have to yeah. stop. Like, it's just, you have to see it for what it is. Well, um, I'm, I'm wondering, even before we think about, you know, how it is in performance, there is this magic of, simultaneous existence that these digital tools can give us that even though we're in different you know breakfast time and dinner times together at the same moment for Mm -hmm. each of us it just that always goes on anyway the whole world is simultaneous and so so just a reminder that we are we are in someone else's time always and it just depends on which window we have in that. So in a way, we are, we are opening ourselves to something that's already been in existence. That just is part mm-hmm. of the phenomenon of life, of living. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. it, it's funny, I, uh, one of the things I did this summer, I was contacted by a group called Nina, I think, in the, they're out of, the, ooh, I forget exactly where in Germany, but they asked me to create a vocal score uh, of gestural vocal score that a group of non-dancers or strangers to each other could perform in a park in a museum on a in a parking garage and so i put together something out of my sort of like narrating my own gestures that even in the narration you know moving away from my hand is here or there but but realizing, okay, or I'm rising in power, which brings my arms up above my head. And I know I'm in a recognizable position that says it's incredibly vulnerable, but I recognize the power as well as the, the vulnerability and so on and so mm-hmm. on. So building in a, a kind of a context with the words as well. And in any case, I ship this off to, to, to Linia and it's performed. I've never seen it. <laughs> but they had their voice and in, in my voice in their ears. And so it's bizarre that that can happen, but it's also tremendously freeing and, mm-hmm. and connecting at the same time. So I don't yeah. know. I mean, I'm, I'm taken with it all. Um, yeah. 
I, yesterday I experienced the show by 600 Highwaymen. Oh, it's uh -huh. this uh, uh -huh. on the boards is producing is not producing is doing this show called a thousand ways a phone call and you call and another person from somewhere else calls in and then there's this digital voice that guides you through this experience and some of it is like uh, poetically performative like you said like there was a moment in which you're like put your hand to your neck and put your other hand to your cheek and then it start and then they start talking telling a story and then halfway through the story they say like and you were touching your cheek in that way that you always do you know so they were um playing with this idea of uh, uh, timelines in different spaces and also how do you give physical directions that become narration mm. and that are, it was like the, the, it was immersive without being immersive, you know, cause I wasn't entering a space that Im I was immersed in, but my body was participating in a way that felt like my imagination is fully immersed and, you know, I'm sitting because they asked me to sit and describe the space around. I don't know. It was very fascinating. And it felt like that potential of like, if you open what you think dance performance, if you open what the definition is, it, it's incredible. Yeah. You know? And, it, and it, it doesn't stop. It just keeps on going. No. I was looking at one of your, a bit of your, one of your videos. Was it Invisible Women? Mm -hmm. Invisible Woman from Bumbershoot in, in Seattle yeah. from 2017. And just the visual language of this line of, of mm -hmm. women in red, red jumpsuits mm -hmm. against this gray concrete. And, and when they clump together in a, you know, just the, the, the formal strength of these images combined with when the camera showed us uh, who they were more more closely and and just the effort the visible effort that they that would be involved in lifting up someone or sliding down a yeah. hill and I was really struck with with that just the formality of your of your work and in how you are combining it seems at least in the pieces that I saw there just that that ineffable quality of people together being people mm -hmm. with a job to do and yeah. the form that that makes in yeah. space. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of tasks. Mm. Like I feel like working, I love dance and I love movement. And I think this comes from the <laughs> Nikolai lineage, mm. and it, which is the, 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 the butt that it's about to come, which is, uh, but I'm interested in movement that I can't recognize. Like I understand that movement you know, everything has been invented. And I'm not even being like negative pessimist, pessimist. I'm just real, I feel like realistic, like all movement, somebody has done that move. Somebody, so I'm not talking about um, like the uniqueness of creating the movement that has never existed before. Um, but there's something about the body speaking clearly. And the way that I found is through task. Like the way that I found this through the task of, okay, now you all lift this person and you are you. I don't want you to not be tired. Cause that was also like, that specifically was not a durational performance, but I come from 
I've been working on like long form five hours to three hours performances. And a lot of the things we talk about sometimes is like, well, I don't want you like if you're tired, you're tired. Like you're real, Mm. you're real people. Mm -hmm. If you're tired, you're tired. If you see your mom or your dad that you haven't seen in like two months and you're tired and a smile comes, that's great. Like I want to see you see the world. I don't want you have a performance face and experience. And I think the what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to say connecting all these things is that this idea of task has allowed me to keep people very present in in the places and moments that they're in and in this aliveness yes. of that moment. Uh, because anything can happen when you're out on a fountain surrounded by many people or when you're in a park or in a church, like when you're in spaces where the audience doesn't expect you to be in, anything can happen. So it's also a safety matter to like be <laughs> yeah. able to see the world and be tracking and uh, available. But yeah, but task. I'm a yeah, there, for like task. there's something that's, that's really um, uh, uh, tasty. <laughs> My fingers mm-hmm. are rubbing together, and I yeah, can't. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we recognize, you know, what some what it must, the work involved in a in a particular task, or the effort, the bodily mm-hmm. effort, um, especially when it's shared, the 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 skin to skin. But there's also, I mean, there's there's a, a history, of course, of of just showing task. I was just reading a little bit, and in, in um, Oh, oh gosh, I can't remember the name, the exact title, but Wendy Perrin, the author Wendy Perrin has written a book on, on the Grand Union, the mm-hmm. post-Judson improvisational group yeah. from that time, and how basically all they did was task. And you with language, with, with fun and ladders and a bunch of stuff and feathers on the floor and, and just a constant un, unfolding and availability of anything. Mm-hmm. So I, it's... I'm I'm, re- I'm thinking also on something else you had said about like you can't invent anything new uh, mm-hmm. in terms of movement because well the body is the body and we understand it's both its limitations and what it's what it can do but what we do do is even in this idea of task it's like how are we, how are we presenting it how are we framing yeah. it as yeah. this is this something delightful is this something mm-hmm. that I just thought of? Is this something I want to show you that I that is effortful, or am I allowing it to just remain at whatever effort is it is? So mm-hmm. the performance of all this, what are we, what exactly are we framing in and around that moment of the body? I think is yeah. what is what makes our work or your work your mm-hmm. own out of your own yeah. perspective because you are imagining that envelope, that kind of cellophane around the performance and how you would want an audience to to interact yeah. with it and so that remains only your perspective yeah absolutely yeah 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 absolutely i i completely agree <coughs> the uniqueness is on the uniqueness is on the combination on the way that the things are layered and the way that the things are contextualized and 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 uh, uh, organized and uniqueness is not necessarily my favorite term in this case because it feels like the artistic genius arrives and makes the unique unique thing and like I I think that's a little bit um 
too much capitalist pro pro production based uh, produce consume uh, idea um, and it, it creates like this this system of hierarchies even for artists that I, I'm not particularly interested in um, but I do think that it's it's the the magic the magic is in the in the way that the things are layer and contextualized or or um, put together like a recipe and like a, yeah, like a recipe. One of the questions I have a lot in my work and that I've been trying to ask a lot to different people is uh, I recognize in my work, the system, like the things that you talked about and uh, I wish for it to have uh, more conversations inside of it around uh, intimacy and vulnerability. And one thing that I feel like I see in your work um, while feeling both really personal and uh, really personal, but also very geometrical in my head when I see it and relational. Yes. But there's a camaraderie that I always see. I feel like there's this sense of play and, and, uh, yeah, yeah. Can you can you tell me more about that? And or how do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. Um, <clears throat> back in the day, when I was starting uh, my company, this was you know back in the eighties and nineties and those early days. Uh, and you rehearsal space you pay for by the hour, and mm -hmm. so when you can only afford two hours every, maybe every, maybe three times a week. Um, you get to the point really quick, right? <laughs> <clears throat> so um, you get to the point and you get to the point really quick, you know, what, what movement are we gonna make? Boom, 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 boom. And then somehow later in my creative life when I can afford four hours at a time instead of two hours, the, the opportunity to maybe spend the first 10 minutes or so talking about whatever happened on the subway, taking a little food break in the middle of it, and, and, and you get a different kind of tired, and then you recover from that, and then you have a conversation about work. So even just the shape of the workspace changed over that time, and our relationship as makers and collaborators changed. And... I realized that there was something in that live space that was very important for me in making work and making dance. So I think what you see is more of that kind of the evolution into how do we, in any kind of a choreography, I think that you, you kind of live through the process of it and you are changed by it, um, whether that's even if you just get exhausted by it, but but that change through the making of work became really important to me. That there's a there's a human, uh, um, you know, something that that is that we feel as humans that we've shifted over time. So if the if my my view changed from what is the form that I'm creating to more of how are the people involved in creating a form changed by that form? And is that a process that I can guide um, mm -hmm. and open myself up to? So our work has been always been collaborative, definitely in that way. Although, you know, I'm, I feel 
very much this director's eye from outside that I, I am privy to a view that they on the, in the piece are not. So how my guidance might interrupt that particular flow of development or reshape it, I feel is what my job is. But there is always, it seems to me, a development or not a development, that's not the right word, but there is a relational sequ sequence that I can see and mm -hmm. which is different than what they feel as performers. So our dialogue between those two frames of reference is really kind of the foundation of the work I'm making. And we have, you know, there's smart people in a room and we have good jokes. Yeah. So I think, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, and that's part of it too. Yeah. Yeah. Cause most of the people you're working with, you've been working with for a long time now. Many, yeah. Uh, Daryl Jones, oh, close to 25 years. Wow. Uh, <gasps> Angie, 20 years. And even though we're, we're not involved in making a, a piece right now, the last uh, major project that we were all involved in that was a performative project uh, premiered in, in 2017. And so now we're, we're involved in a, a different kind of a project that we're calling Solo Duo Dancing which has more to do with how can we how can we share our creative practice in forming duets and solos and and the language between that how wow. do we share that with um with artists who have been who've been makers and you know mm -hmm. who have a, a body of work that they can refer to and um we were talking about it just the other day and it's one thing to think that you can share an improvisational score, say, that has a name, you know, something <laughs> like, like keeping your weight at risk. Okay, go. Uh -huh. But it's another thing to, to share that in a way that reflects that you've had 20 years of thinking of, of, of your weight at risk. And there's something else that's happening as well. So maybe it's not so much you, that there is a specific score that's, show, that's, that's shared, but more of how do you, how would you as a choreographer just recognize what is emerging in the room, mm. in the relationship? Because that's also what I feel that I do. It's not so much like, okay, this is what the form is going to be and now go. But it's in what is generated and how you might read it and then reconfigure what is there and then move on forward from there. Yeah. Well, one thing is uh, I've worked with three people now for five years and I feel like they can almost read my mind and it's so exciting. <laughs> yes, it's right. like it took us time and now it's we're here and it's but it's also like whenever there's other people, new people in the room, there's like, oh, right. What is what is the information that we're not saying that is still necessary, that it's so important. And it's so great to be around people that are also able to be like, hey, Alice, I think you're missing this point of information of like your philosophies or this score that would be useful. It's such a incredible luxury to have, to have that possibility. So that, that's one was one thought. And then do you like, when you start a project, then where does it start from? And I know it's probably like so many different ways. It's so many different <laughs> ways, but I'll, I'll, yeah, okay. I'll pick a way. Um, cool. <laughs> uh, just thinking about um, this last project that we did that resulted in the piece In a Rhythm mm -hmm. in 2017. 
I was um, uh, just spending a little time with a good friend, Susan Redhorst, another choreographer. And um, I, I was saying how, you know, I never get to sit in anyone else's composition class or a choreography rehearsal. And wouldn't it be interesting just to somehow, if not share rehearsals, but just sort of kind of do some parallel play of making mm -hmm. alongside of each other. And pretty much we did that. It was a project called The Making Room. Sue right. and I worked for a year. Sue worked for a year. I worked for a year. We met with uh, a couple of dancers at different times over that, over that year just to, to share what we'd made and maybe try it on other dancers and, mm -hmm. and just have a, you know, like, where are we? And so I started that process without any sense of what I had no theme. No really yeah, worked yeah, yeah. well with theme. <laughs> but um, but just in that first step, you know, we were in Sue, Sue's studio in, in Philadelphia, and just that moment with Angie Hauser, um, Crystal Brown, they're in the room, and I just say, like, well, go. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it but even in just noting just their entry into a, into an improvised relationship. It's like, okay, now what do you hold back? I say to myself, you know, hold something back, make something else go forward. Not so much mm. in space, but into, in, into in intention, reading those intentions, moving them around in the space, and gradually over time, something emerges. And yeah. trusting in that whatever is emerging to carry enough of a sense of itself to then re-enter on another day. And so you do that if you give yourself enough time uh, and see what else is, uh, comes into the room with you and how you might use that is maybe the question. And for that yeah. particular project, uh, a couple of months later, um, after that initial rehearsal, I was driving to um from the airport in seattle to visit my 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 husband david uh who was there and i had like a two-hour drive ahead of me and um i listened to an audiobook of david foster wallace of short mm -hmm. stories and what was striking to me was like how he made the syntax of writing and the sick, and also the syntax of hearing this actor speak his words, how he shaped my interest and my oh. availability to his story. So it brought up something about just syntax itself, the shape of language, the shape of yeah. language on a page, and how you'll you're reading along and something is completely yeah. mundane, and then like boom, you are involved in a whole nother level. And I realized that there was something that was choreographic just about syntax mm -hmm. itself. So that became another thing to add to whatever Angie and Crystal yeah. had made. It's like, okay, now what is the shape of those, those um, passages of information? And how do those shapes literally in time sit next to each other? And could one of those shapes or syntax bits of information be in an intention of one person to another and how does that how might that shape the next physical involvement so slowly slowly it just like my interest gets carried forward to one from one thing to another and at a certain point someone brought in um, a recording i was listening for music or words just something to listen to 
and someone brought in a, a recording of an interview between Toni Morrison and Charlie Rose when mm -hmm. uh, Charlie Rose was, they were talking about how uh, she's been asked about, about, you know, writing about black people and when are you gonna stop doing that and writing about other people, which brought up a whole bunch of stuff to think about. Um, <laughs> and so, so that, that became another background of, of just the contexts that we bring to whatever it is we see and how much is available and how much we wanna share and how much do we take for granted um, what is it that I, you feel that I need to tell you about myself before I, you know, before you see this performance or not? And so those kinds of things become part of the, the torque, I guess, in that produces a work. I hope that helps. If that makes yeah, sense. it's very, very fascinating. And yeah, I think it makes me think a lot about patience, but I also really like what you said about what is it that you need to tell? What is it that you're telling already? What is it that is happening without you saying anything? And there's an being open to, you know, the, the idea that your audience, whoever they are, are also in your context and also in mm -hmm. your time. So in particular, when we're, you know, thinking about this pandemic timeline and the Zoom and the flat screen and all of this mediated being, we're all in this. And yeah. so many things have happened globally, you know, the COVID itself, the economy, Mr. Floyd, all of that is in the context of, of our audiences now. And so how can you, how do you not, you don't have to demonstrate those things, mm -hmm. but rather just take it on, you know, as, as just a common truth or a common point of departure of what we are living through now as, we, as we're making. Yeah, I'm gonna ask you one thing that it's like a, a little bit of a shift. Because uh, one of the things that, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you specifically in this case is the relationship to Fort Warden and Port Towson and Centrum. Because um, for me, I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna be an artist in residency there, and I'm gonna be working on a piece there. Um, ideally, it's gonna be a site specific performance that is gonna take over the batteries, so, so the some of the park, some of the parts of the park. And I know, and I've known that um, in conversations we've had that you spent some time there. And so I was curious about, like, tell me about your, your experience of space and time there and place. Well, it's funny. I, it's less about my, my time at Fort Warden in, in particular, but more about time in Port Townsend that, I, that I've been. Um, I've been on the grounds in Fort Warden a few times, um, but I've spent a lot more time in the water off of Port Townsend because David and I have done a lot of sailing there. So I have a whole different kind of thing about Port Townsend and Fort Warden I'm just going to share with you that has to do with being in, in that body of water, that bay, the mm. sound, 
short, just really quickly. We were sailing. It was a kind of bumpy ride. We had a couple of hours before going from one place to another where, you know, the boat was all over the place. So I went down below to lay down. And I, I felt a little nauseous, but then it closed my eyes. And then it's like, if you go with it, that yeah. whole sensation of being in the ocean is completely primal. And mm-hmm. it is, it's our first element, all of that water and all that liquid. And, and I felt, this is the kind of thing you learn in junior high school, that all, it's only one ocean, correct? It's all connected. And it's not going anywhere. It doesn't, the, the Pacific does not become the Atlantic. It's just where it is. It's how it's all connected. So the rise and fall of water and it's, and our tiny tininess as we ride on top of it was just profound for me at that moment Mm. and so translate that to any site that has its own sense of history and place I think the um it's thousands and millions of years of development to that moment of erosion is Mm. what we are privy to so our um you know, kind of finding a form of our own on that surface, whatever that surface is, is so momentary, but it's all we have. And so I, I don't know, I'm always struck with, with, with site work of, particularly if we're, if we're in a place that really where you do feel the ground and not whatever architectural structure has been built, but that ability to be of the earth and on the earth and uh, take this fleeting moment in our context, in our time, and find what we can shape of it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah if that helps. Yeah. 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 It's just part of the the way that I work when I work on the territory like that is asking people a lot of questions in relationships to like memory and relationship to sensations. Um, my brother is a physicist and he gets very frustrated at my dad at research because it's very not scientific. I'm just like, tell me a story. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because it's, it's always, people have always some inspiring bit and you, I don't even know how it will ever, like the story you told me, I'm not sure how it will inspire me, but I, it will, you know, it's, it's, it's also, um, an indirect way for me to carry stories that are not mine inside of different lands that I create things with. Um, right. So, well, yeah. it's, it's not necessarily your job to depict my story, but maybe yeah. to just know that we all have them mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. there is a belief in, in our story-ness and our, our ability to be a vessel for what we carry in our perspective on the world, that is what we're actually sharing. Not the Mm -hmm. specifics so much, but just that we all dream. Yeah, which is so connected in a way to dance and movement. Mm -hmm. It's so connected to like a language that is ineffable and is incredibly poetic and incredibly communicative, but it's it's not words. And I don't mean it as I said, but it's not words, but I don't mean it negative or positive. Like one is better than the other. And I just mean it like, words. and <laughs> thank you. And it's not words. Yeah. Um, and so there's space and for the translation or not translation to exist. 
Well, I have so many other questions, but I think we're going to stop there. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk again, but thank you so yes. much. For, oh for my gosh. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being part of this conversation with me. It's been great. Same. Thank you for listening to this Centrum podcast. The creator and host of On Air is Michelle Hagwood, Program Manager for Artist Residencies. Our cover artwork is by Leon Finley, and our music is by Tabor Dark. Centrum's Executive Director is Robert Berman. Centrum podcasts are produced by Taven Dotson, Owen Rowe, and Holly Miller. Our Executive Producer is Joe Gillard. With gratitude and respect, we acknowledge that we broadcast from the traditional lands of the Coast Salish peoples, from the place known by the Sklalem people as Katai, and today called Port Townsend, Washington. Centrum programs are based at Fort Warden State Park in Port Townsend. Centrum was founded in 1973 to foster creative arts experiences that change lives, and is dedicated to building a world of greater inclusion through the arts. Other Centrum podcasts include music from the Centrum archives, interviews with teaching artists, and readings from the Port Townsend Writers' Conference. To subscribe to any of our podcasts or to support or participate in Centrum programs, visit our website at centrum.org. Thank you for listening. This podcast is copyright 2020 Centrum Foundation. Thank you.